It is Plan B with Rebecca Davis. Hello, Rebecca. John, I'm quite sad that I have to tear myself away from Mr. Sakwali now into his one hour and over an hour and a half and going strong. Honestly, John, what I am genuinely wondering about is how so many media artists can justify taking his, you know, insane ramblings live. I mean, is that wise even? A colleague said, well, it's watching a car crash in slow motion. Everyone wants to see that. Maybe. But is it responsible? Uh, Rebecca, if you've been watching, then has he said anything which leads one to believe that there might actually be a trust originating out of Asia, which has as its noble aim the development of poor people in the third world, particularly Africa, which fund has deposited large amounts of money in the South African Reserve Bank, which money has been siphoned away into commercial banks and from them into the pockets of who knows whom. Anything to back up. He's leaving. There we go. It's finished. You didn't miss much. No, of course not, John. He hasn't said anything like that. But I was impressed by the fact that he came prepared with two pens in his breast pocket. A clear illustration signaling, I am a serious person, not somebody who can so easily be scammed. And I look forward to the media reports, which I hope will just very clearly and coherently, you know, dissect this nonsense rather than giving it any more airtime than it deserves. It's very clear, as people have said, that this is his kind of, Face-saving method when neither the president or the finance minister were able to bring themselves to tell him face-to-face, listen, Tokyo, please, dude, you've got this wrong. I'm a little um, put out by what you've just said because I think it's probably 30 years since I last had even a single pen in my breast pocket. So quite clearly, by your categorization of serious and not serious, I am a non-serious I think that's right, John, because, you know, the other day I was looking for audio on the TRC and what should I hear but a familiar voice saying, seven minutes to eight in the TRC today. And that, of course, was you. Now, I reckon that at that period of your life, John, you probably had a pen or two in your pocket. (laughs) Rebecca, while you are dandling miles on your knee, you are also keeping a very keen weather R-E-T-I out. What has that spotted? Red watch. Yes, this week in RetWatch, it's good news again for those who are unhappy with the RET forces trying to destabilize our great land. This week with the suspension of Mr. Supra Mahumapelo in the Northwest. Now, for those of you unfamiliar with Mr. Mahumapelo, he is, I think it's fair to say, a bad egg. He's a Gupta associate. He has been trying in various ways to destabilize the Northwest since he was kicked out in 2018, since he was removed from leadership, and since his PEC was disbanded. He's reportedly still been jerking all sorts of chains and levers of powers behind the scenes, still has a kind of muscle over who gets appointed to provincial cabinet posts and so forth, and recently has been going so far as to hold his own alternative ANC rallies just meters away from the official ones. Now, obviously, you cannot sit back if you are Sir Ramaphosa, if you are actually the serious members of the ANC and let this happen. There's clearly, you know, this is RET forces at their most brazen. And we know that Supra is uh, uh, died in the wall, ret He was there at the airport to welcome Jacob Zuma last year. He said, touch Zuma, you touch us. He's addressed rallies with Dudu 
Ace Magashula once said, if there's no Supra, there is no Northwest. So we know who his friends are. He has now been suspended from the ANC. Pending his disciplinary process, which was one of which was supposed to start today, if he appeared for it, he didn't appear for his last one, which was in February, and that was also because he he of course um, asked the mayor of JB Marks. Sorry, he didn't ask him. He requested him not to step down, despite the fact that he was accused of corruption. The point is, if we're doing our red watch, we currently have Zuma in legal limbo. We have Ace Marashula on the back foot. And we have Supra Mahuma Pelo suspended from the ANC. If you are one of the Tuma minions, which is a term I recently learned and love, i.e. you believe that Sora Ramaphosa's gang on balance provides a better way forward, then I think this is a good week yet again, John. Not a good week for the JSE. There have been lots of critical articles about the way the various uh, selection panels have operated for the Constitutional Court, for the Supreme Court of Appeal, and for places on the various uh, provincial high courts. And every now and then there's a, a nod to the fact that for the first time since the Constitutional Court came into being, there will not be a white judge on that court. Right. And look, I watched the interviews for the Constitutional Court, and I have to say the JSC was in fairly grotesque form last week. And it's no wonder that three judges pulled out before the JSC interviews even began for Concord, saying that they simply did not trust the JSC. They will be grilling them. And I wrote about this, the grilling of Diapile in particular was obscene, frankly, and Julius Malema having a lot to do with that. And serious questions need to be asked about the JSC at the moment because they seem to be going rogue, politicizing it. It's kind of a disgrace. But this issue about white judges on the Concord, John, is an interesting one. Because if you have consistently argued that real diversity doesn't have to include race, if you have consistently argued there should be no racial quotas in sports, for instance, in education, in medical students' courses, etc., and if you've argued that anyone is capable of representing anyone, then you cannot suddenly come out and say, why aren't there any white judges on the constitutional court? And I've seen a lot of rumbling to this effect on Twitter. I also saw a statement from the DA. This is specifically directed at the DA, but it is one of the aspects. The DA said it was concerned about the message it would send to young white lawyers. Well, John, has the DA been worried about the message it was sending to young black politicians for so many years? You know, there's just a real double standard going on here. If you are against racial quotas, if you are against racial tokenism, then you're against it. And in that case, I'm afraid you have nothing to say when there are no white judges on the constitutional court. Finish and blah. But if, on the, the other s- hand, okay. Sorry. if on the other hand, you genuinely believe that white judges are being blocked from the constitutional court due to their race, then put up some evidence of this, put up some hard facts. What the white judges on the on going to the JSC are being asked and what they will always be asked, I think, from now on is, why should you be appointed above a candidate of equal experience of colour who has had to deal with significant difficulties? I don't believe that that is an unreasonable question. Certainly, I've served on scholarship boards in recent years where we have asked exactly the same question of white students. And the answer that they give is not necessarily, you know, it doesn't matter one way or another. It's to show that they've reflected on issues like privilege and race and so forth. But when it comes to racial representation and quotas, John, we have to be a little bit consistent. Yeah, we do. But at the same time, 
a black judge is per se not more transformative than a white judge. And I don't know nearly enough about any, uh, the history, the, um, the adjudicative abilities of any of the judges to, to offer a, a, a strongly held personal opinion. But I do know a lot of judges. And they tell me that some of the black judges who've been elevated to the Constitutional Court and to the Supreme Court of Appeal are well below, both in transformative thinking and adjudicative ability, some of the white judges who have been overturned. And I would argue that when you have two judges who are of equal um, merit, equal transformative ability, because that's the key thing, is to find a judge that is prepared to advance common law in line with the precepts of the Constitution. And if that person is clearly the white person, then that person should be elected. If the white candidate and the black candidate are roughly equal, then my view would be that the black candidate should be selected. Yes, the problem is, I suppose, that these things are rarely equal to measure out in a kind of apples and apples way. So, I mean, there's always going to be subjective definitions of these things unless you're literally counting, you know, how many judgments reserved, et cetera, et cetera. But my point is merely about uh, consistency when it comes to gauging these matters. If this is so concerning to you, then I think you need to look again at issues about racial quotas and affirmative action in general and imagine yourself with the boot on the other foot for once. Because it should also be noted, John, that there's never been a colored judge on the constitutional court, and yet I've never heard you know, certain bodies and people con- concerned about that up to this time either. Okay, let's move on to something, um, well, I don't know, perhaps it's almost as serious. The best word to describe our collective mental state at the moment is languishing, is it? That's what the New York Times says, John. I think also we should note, though, that, you know, the situation lockdown-wise in the UK, in the US, is obviously a bit more severe than ours at the moment. So we are, they are referring, I suppose, to a population which is still having their movements very tightly controlled, whereas we largely are not, I must say, other than international travel. So Adam Grant writes this week, he's an um, industrial psychologist, that everyone he knows is feeling the same way. It's not burnout. You still have energy. It's not depression. You don't feel hopeless. You just feel joyless, aimless. And then the name for that, given by sociologists, is languishing, a sense of stagnation and emptiness. And he suggests that in the initial days of the pandemic, adrenaline was flooding, panic and anxiety. Now those emotions have largely kind of you know, sort of drained away for most of us, at least, who are lucky enough not to have loved ones in ICU. And what has replaced it is this kind of stasis. It's also defined as the absence of well-being. So just, I suppose, to put it in one word, meh. Okay. (laughs) I'd love to be meh. It would feel like an incredible improvement over the way I feel at the moment. Rebecca Davis, thank you very, very much indeed. There will be another Plan B next week.